Hey guys, thanks for joining us for this second episode in Season 3 of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. Special guests on this episode include actress Charlena Moya. We'll also visit with former Pittsburgh Steeler and host of the Believe in Clemson podcast, LaVon Kirkland. We'll also visit with our good friend, movie producer Damon Hillen, and former NFL lineman, host of the Believe in the Chiefs podcast, Joe Valerio. Of course, if you would, please take the time to subscribe, comment, leave some feedback, check out the shop, and of course, share with your friends. Now, a new poll found that the happiest married couples kiss at least twice a day, say I love you around 10 times a week, and have two major arguments a month. Now, people were asked to name the top signs of a happy marriage and see if you agree with this top 10. Number one, spending lots of quality time together. Number two, taking care of each other when you're sick. Number three, feeling like you can be yourself with them. Number four, encouraging them to pursue their own hobbies and interests. Number six, you let them see you at your best and worst. Number six, cuddling. Number seven, being respectful to them in front of other people. Number eight, making regular plans together. Number nine, being proud of their achievements. And number 10, being silly with each other. Got a brand new series we're going to talk about uh, from Pure Flix. We've got Charlene Omoya on with us today. And uh, first off, Charlene, thank you so much for taking the time. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, Charlene, tell us uh, the, the new series just available now is uh, Sons of Thunder Redemption. Tell us, tell us about how this one was first approached to you and, uh, and how excited you are to have it out there right now. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, well, it's, um, it just got released a few weeks ago and three episodes are out right now. We've got another three that will air in consecutive weeks. Um, I had originally just gotten an appointment to audition for it and they gave me a scene from the pilot episode and from the fourth episode. And, um, I had to bang them out. I, ha I actually, it was one of those uh, days where I got five auditions. And uh, so I, I had no time to really look into any of them. I just had to bang them out. And that was the one that came through. So um, I was grateful to get a job and, and come to find out we were shooting all of them on this beautiful ranch, a little bit up North from LA. And I would be with horses and all these in a beautiful setting and all these animals. And so it was very much like the ambience of a dream job. Um, and, uh, the show is about second chances. Really. My ex fiance uh, was in a motorcycle gang and, um, there was betrayal and hurts between us and he went off to prison and kind of came out a new man and came back to make amends and put out some good in the world. And to, to be involved, I, I know I've dealt with uh, Pure Flicks before, and, and to not only entertain people, but also do it with a message as well. I mean, how cool is it to be a part of a project like that? Yeah, it's, uh, I think it, um, it inspires and uplifts, and you know, knowing that going into it, I, I really wanted my character to go on an emotional journey. So she started off very bitter and angry and not open and um throughout the series there she undergoes a lot of change as well through forgiveness during the the, the pandemic was this this was after the pandemic uh, when the filming and all that was going on for you 
Yeah, yeah. We had to do COVID testing every other day and wear masks and face shields throughout the whole thing. Um, so it was the, I had previously, right before shooting this, done a Disney Plus show in Atlanta, which was my first job during the pandemic. And so everybody seems to be very conscious and aware of masking and trying to take care of each other. Now, how do, how does it make it different approaching a character in, in a new role uh, now that the pandemic, I mean, how has that changed things for you? Um, now that during the pandemic or just as a whole? Uh, as a result of the pandemic and as a whole, I guess. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I don't think that the pandemic changed much other than I will say, you know, I did an indie film recently and my husband, my, you know, my character's husband uh, didn't want to like have kissing, like, you know, like a little peck or anything like that. So I think that is something that's changed where people are a little bit more cautious, you know, they have children at home and, that is uh, changing in scripts and in some of the sets, but not all of them. Um, and as far as approaching a character, I don't do it any different than I would normally. You know, I build uh, the the relationships, so I create memories of falling in love with them, the past, the history, the good stuff, and then also um, the pain. So yeah. just finding the heart of the, the character. Now, where where did you know that you had something that you needed to be on the stage, on the screen? When did you know in your life that uh, that acting was was going to be your thing? When I was a little kid, I for some reason I wanted to be on Star Search, but it, it wasn't like <laughs> I had any kind of talent. I was just like we watched it, and I wanted to be on it, and so <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so my, my, I would organize my friends, um, to, to like try to come up with a dance routine. And I really, I just remember very young and very driven, like, no, we got it. Like, and we weren't dancers even, you know I mean? Other than we'd have like some goof off dance competitions, it's not like we were trained. So I had the drive to do something, but I never, um, other than that, I, I never really thought about acting or pursued it until when I was um, in high school. My dad had a girl that worked for him that was modeling and, and she signed, you know, she inadvertently got me signed with her agent and then her agent sent me an audition. And it was on my first audition that I felt like something special. I was like, oh, that's that was an experience that is really hitting me in a certain way that I, I want to follow up on that. Now, do you find it any easier today to see yourself on screen? I know this is something I've talked with <laughs> actors and actresses. They, do you still struggle seeing yourself? Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's awful. I mean, I mean, you're also doing the same thing. I mean, I think sometimes you just, you see, you know, when you talk to people, you don't really see any funny faces you're making or you don't see the wrinkles or, whatever weird is happening there. But when it's on a huge screen in front of you, you can't help, but pick yourself apart. <laughs> <laughs> now, is, is there any one role that you really connected to that you, that you've played so far? Oh, um, hmm. I, I mean, I try to find a, you know, often when I approach a role, I'll, I'll ask myself, why is this role in my life at this time? So I find some sort of connectivity and there was a role that I did 
a couple years ago on um, the drama, The Resident, the Fox TV show. And it was interesting because um, my character's name was Bobby, which is an interesting, you know, it's not a common name for a female. And um, my mother's name was Bobby. And my mother had died a few years ago. And, you know, through the, you know, grief and the heartbrokenness of it all, when I got this role, I just felt like there was something connected. And in this, my character basically got shot in the heart. And I felt like I related to the heartbrokenness and being shot in the heart. And I was in the operating room and they had to do a purse uh, suture, which is basically they close the hole in your heart. And I felt like there was something really allegorical about that for me. Um, the time dealing with heart, the heartbreak and having my mom's namesake and having the whole of my heart kind of sutured together, that felt like there was a shift into healing and my heart being whole again. And I felt that in my life. It was an interesting thing as I was approaching it and asking myself the whys and the before and after of shooting that. I felt like there's something metaphorical, symbolic, or um, ethereal about this, like something spiritual about this experience that was unique. Now, how many times do you do you see where where life is is imitated in the work that you're doing as well? Yeah, I think you know we humans. <clears throat> we're more the same than we are different. And it's important to remember that with all the polarization that's going on in the world, because the human experience is filled with love and it's, it's filled with heartbreak and hurts. And um, there's always a way to connect into whoever you're playing. Now for you, what, what did you learn about yourself over this pandemic, the ups and downs, the, the, the no jobs for a little while? What, what did you learn most about yourself in that time? Oh, was that mine or yours? <laughs> it was not mine. That was okay. You heard that too. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, um, it looks like I still have a battery, so we'll let you know if something changes. Um, actually I'm going to undo my speaker. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. All right, great. So the thing, I guess, well, when the pandemic first happened, I, I realized that I didn't have to be in LA and I decided to move to Vancouver, Canada just for a change. And I, I basically gave away my whole apartment to get out of there really quick and moved up to Canada and spent three months hiking around and just exploring nature and, and people again, and, um, you know, getting to know new people. And just that I, I, I really appreciated the break and the slowdown that the pandemic made us all address. You know, we were all like, if we're all moving at a certain speed, suddenly everything's at a stop. And during that time, I was able to take more time to do some other things that I loved. And, um, my life really changed in lots of ways that were positive with the slowdown. So I think there was certainly silver linings that came along with it. Now, did it, did it renew your love for, for the work? Did it maybe reinvigorate that passion as well when you had the opportunity to get back to work? Yeah. Yeah. That first show doing that Disney show, I was really excited to be back on the job. Um, I mean, I always, I always have love for it. And this, this business 
and the amount of time you actually get to do it. There's, there's always the ups and downs and at times where you're not working. So um, it's easy to appreciate it anytime a gig comes in. <laughs> That's right. Now, again, the the new series available now, Sons of Thunder. I, I want to make sure and, and let our listeners know, Charlene, where they can find more about the show, about uh, everything you've got going social media-wise as well. Okay, great. Yeah, the show is on Pure Flix. We've got um, three episodes already out, and the fourth will be released tomorrow. I'm on Instagram at charlene.amoya, and I'm also on Facebook if anybody wants to stay in touch. Well, Charlene, it has been a true privilege to have the chance to visit with you today. And uh, we, we made it in spite of the snowfall. It, it's a little cold in my garage today, I'm just going to say. Oh, you, it looks, I love your background. It looks great. Uh, After we stop recording, I'll show you the true background. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for having me. It's great talking to you. My favorite part of this poll is when you break it down for men and women, because the answers are not the same. A big survey for Valentine's Day looked at the top gifts that we'd like to receive this year, and number one overall is a card. 36% of women and 30% of men would like to get one. Now things get a little different after that first one though. The top things that women want this year are a card, flowers, chocolates or candy, a nice dinner out, and jewelry. And the top things that men want are a card, a nice dinner out, sexual favors, chocolates or candy, and in fifth place is nothing. 21% of men said they'd love to get nothing for Valentine's Day this year. Only 14% of women say the same. Now, women are also more than twice as likely to want their chores and work around the house done for them as a gift. And men are almost twice as likely to be hoping for sex. 22% of guys want it compared to 12% of women. A few more gifts that ranked high overall were a nice meal at home, electronics, clothing or lingerie, and wine or liquor. He's the host of the Believe in Clemson Football on the Believe Podcast Network, former NFL linebacker and friend of the show as well, LeVon Kirkland with us today. And LeVon, thank you so much for your time, brother. Oh, man, thank you for having me. I really appreciate that. Now, LeVon, tell us what is the most intriguing point for the upcoming Super Bowl this Sunday? What is it that uh, that has you the most intrigued about the matchup? Well, I, I just wonder how the Cincinnati Bengals are going to play against the Rams defensive line. With Von Miller, uh, with Donald, you, you kind of wonder, are they going to be able to just kind of sit back and do the routes that they normally do? That's going to be the intriguing thing. How will they handle if Ramsey is on T. Higgins and they double-team chase? Um, the adjustments that I think the Cincinnati offense has to make against this defense is the intriguing part to this contest. What do you have to say about the the Bengal fans having their opportunity? I mean, I know you've had to hear some hooting and hollering over the years from the Bengal right. fans uh, to see them in a Super Bowl. What uh, what do you got to say to, the, to those fans who've been waiting so long? <laughs> well, they're going to have to win it. You know, it's kind of like what I told the Georgia fans, you know, talk to me when you win a national championship. <laughs> they won a national championship. So I, I guess the same thing would go for the Cincinnati Bengals. Talk to me Talk to me when you win one. But you can't take away from their excitement. It's been a long 
suffering row for those guys not being able to even sniff the divisional championship or their own, you know, I guess a little conference championship. So for them to be um, at this point, at this moment, it's great for them. I, I'm sure that all those people are on the high. I'm sure that the Super Bowl parties are going to be nuts in Cincinnati, Ohio. So you got to tip your hat to them and you got to, you know, you, you got to wish them the best, but they still got to win one first. And Levon, what do you say about uh, this 2022 season as we approach the Super Bowl? What what is your big takeaway from the season? What uh, what touched you, if you will? I think the parity in the league is stronger than you, than I thought it was coming this year. You kind of thought there were going to be some dominant teams like your Kansas Cities, like your Tampa Bay's, but man, this playoff really showed you that a lot of teams were closer than you thought, and that. Every team had an opportunity to win the to win the Super Bowl. I mean, Green Bay was going to supposed to be a team that at least got to the Super Bowl correctly, right? But they didn't. You know, they lost to San Francisco. That at one time, San Francisco was struggling. Nobody, I don't care who it is, nobody <laughs> saw Cincinnati going into the Super Bowl. I don't care who you are. You didn't see that happening. So I, I think just uh, the games were incredible. The playoff games were incredible, and it shows that the parity is there. And that's why I think the NFL is probably the most watched sports in the United States because you never really know. There's no dynasties anymore. And your team has the opportunity with the right changes to be in that Super Bowl just like Cincinnati. LaVon, seeing the way these last couple of years have broken down for everybody, and and how do you see the game changing for the fans as well these last couple of years? Well, I, I mean, you look at it, I think the physicality of the game has really left the game. Um, it's almost impossible to play defense anymore because at one point in time, I remember the middle of the field was all the defense. You come in the middle of the field – you're going to get punished. Nowadays, <laughs> it's really not. So wide receivers are not afraid to come across the middles. <laughs> I said middles. And quarterbacks are not afraid to just tuck it and run because they know they can just slide and they're going to be okay. So I think what has happened is they've taken the physicality out of the game. And for a defensive player, and for, say, a fan base like the Pittsburgh Steelers, you're not going to get the defenses that – you are normally used to seeing. It's just not going to happen. And I think that really, that it's really the quarterback's responsibility not to get his receivers hurt. Like a lot of times, it's those quarterbacks' fault that those receivers get the hits that they get. It's not just the defense, it's the quarterback. So a lot of times, those quarterbacks, if you look at some games, it's really the quarterback's fault. Why that defense, why that Receivers hanging out to dry. So I, I think they're going to have to let some of the physicality come back in the game because it's not, you're going to get what you kind of saw in the Pro Bowl. Not probably as bad, but <laughs> you're going to get what you saw in the Pro Bowl, which is hard to look at football. And you don't ever want to get to that point. And talking about uh, having to be play softer, how much different is the game today as opposed to the game uh, in the NFL when you when you were suiting up, Levon? Well, the game is it wasn't as spread out when I played. You know, it was more so in the box. You know, 
quarterbacks didn't really get in shotgun unless it was two minutes left in the game. You know, guys were still operating behind center a little bit. And the game was just a little bit more tussle, a little bit more man-to-man, especially when you're talking about the front seven uh, versus the offensive line. Today is not that way. You just they kind of spread it out a little bit. You know, it's more of, uh, you know, pitch and catch in a lot of ways. You can't really, as a defense or as a defensive player, you can't really send a message to the quarterback or the wide receiver. Back in back when I played back in the olden days, you know, the quarterback can throw the ball. You still can send him a message by hitting him a little late and letting him know that, hey, regardless if you throw the ball, we're still going to hit you. Nowadays, you can't do that. So the quarterback is pretty confident that he's probably not going to get hit. And if he does get hit, it's going to really cost the defense a penalty here and a penalty there. So I think really it's not as more, it's not as much in the box, it's not as physical. And as a defender, you can't really send a message to the offensive um, team at all. So that's yep. what I see. Now, looking ahead to to Sunday, what uh, I'm not going to ask you for necessarily your personal pick on the game. I, I don't God. like to do that this early. Thank but uh, what what do you see each team having to do to pull off the victory? Well, like I said, I think that Cincinnati may have to make do some adjustments uh, right off the bat. I, I don't know if they can go with you know Joe Burrow just dropping back and just throwing the ball. Uh, you know, the offensive line probably will play better than they play against Tennessee, but this this Ram team can really rush the passer. And you don't want to put your quarterback in arm's way. So how do you get yards and how do you drive down the field without dropping back, waiting for these patterns to get open? I think Cincinnati has to really, on, on offense, they're going to have to really solve that problem. And I, I think for the Rams, they can't underestimate what Cincinnati does on defense. They can't if they underestimate what Cincinnati does, they're going to be in trouble too because those guys, they got guys who can rush the passer as well. And they've been playing really solid defense. So I really think that the offenses have to make the adjustments early and often. They're going to have to do some things differently that they haven't shown on film. And they're going to have to be, they're going to have to really not turn the ball over either. Well, uh, LaVon, I always want to make sure and let our listeners know where they can keep up with, uh, with your podcast, uh, social media yeah. and everything as well, friend. Well, yeah. Um, as far as my podcast, Believe in Clemson Football with LaVon Kirkland, you can catch us on the Believe Network. I think we're on Spotify. If you want to catch me on Twitter, I think it's LaVon Kirkland underscore 44, uh, something like that. Other than that, you can just catch me by my name, LaVon Kirkland, uh, on Facebook, Instagram, I'm all on there. There you go. Well, LaVon, again, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, Looking forward to a great Super Bowl weekend and uh, catching up again real soon. All right, man. I like the hairstyle that you got. Real nice. (laughs) I I work real hard on it. (laughs) Yes, indeed. (laughs) Now, the whole hide and engagement ring in your food thing has always seemed like a great way to chip a tooth. But if you're planning something like that for Valentine's Day, this list is for you. Someone asked 2,000 Americans to name the best foods to hide a ring in, and pizza got the most votes. Hmm. Now, the pizza chain Hungry Howie's commissioned the study, so that's probably why. 
but I'm not sure the rest of the list is much better. Number one, pizza. Number two, salad. Number three, a burger or sandwich. Seems risky. Number four, soup. But what if they don't finish it and the ring stays at the bottom? And number five, seafood. Because a ring that smells like fish, eh, ever so romantic, am I right? Now the rest of the top 10 are pasta, sushi, pork, steak, and lamb chops. Now the poll found the best places to propose are during a romantic dinner or on a trip. But 36% also think proposing at someone else's wedding is a good idea. Now 58% of people who've been engaged admitted that they regret how their proposal went down. And 45% wish they had a do-over. Always great to have friends of the show back on with us. We've got producer and, well, he's got more slashes than we realized before. We've got Damon Hillen with us today. And Damon, good to visit with you, my friend. Hey, I really appreciate you having me again. It's always a pleasure. Now, Damon, always want to talk about the, the latest project, the, the Long Night. When, where did this come from for you? And uh, what did you learn since last time we visited uh, that you applied to this project as well? Wow. Okay. So the long night actually was brought to me by my mentor. So this was one of those projects that is a full circle Wow. from the beginning of my career to, uh, you know, where I'm at today. Uh, I was, I was, I was blessed to work with the gentleman who brought me into the industry and taught me and put me on my path. So his name's Ryan R. Johnson. And you know, we were talking one day and he, he said, Hey, I have a script. I think that, you know, I like, do you want to come and produce it with me? And at that point, I, 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 I said, let me, let me take a look at it. I read it and it was totally up my alley. I just kind of really wanted to go shoot a horror film, supernatural in the South. It, it has some really good sales points to it from a business standpoint for me. So it was, it was really a no brainer and that's how it all came into fruition. Now, what did you learn during pandemic times that, uh, that you had to apply this time around? Well, so it's, it's more like, what did I learn on this movie that prepared me for the pandemic periods? Because we actually shot this movie before. This oh. is a movie that has been in post for, for years. It's, it was a very hard movie outside of, you know, as, as hard as movies get, uh, this, this, this takes the cake. So, uh, let me give you a little backstory. You know, we, we started this film and we put this movie into production. We have a whole crew in South Carolina in the Charleston area, like 45 minutes out. Um, we have a very well-known actress playing the lead. We have a different director, not the director, Rich Ragsdale. Um, and the script was about witches. So all of a sudden we're getting ready to shoot a week out and then boom, scheduling issues. And we lose everything except the crew that we have on the ground. <laughs> so, so panic mode for all the producers, there was like three, you know, there's, there's four producers on this, but um, the three that were like day to day was myself, Vasily Bernhardt and Ryan R. Johnson. So when this happened, 
we were, you know, at this point pulling our hair out because uh, an enormous amount of money had already been spent, like too much, too much money has already been spent on an indie film already. Um, so we put our heads together and, you know, I had previously come off of ghost house that did very well overseas and had a great release here. And, uh, I recommended rich Ragsdale, you know, Ryan Johnson knows rich Ragsdale very well. So I actually met rich Ragsdale through Ryan Johnson. <laughs> so when, when I brought rich up, it was an immediate, like, Oh, that's a great idea. Vasily was on board and then it was immediately let's get rich Ragsdale to, uh, you know, Charleston, I, uh, would call him up. And then of course, uh, an, a director, an auteur like rich, he's going to have his own creative everything. So he, he's going to want all the small details in the script to be to his liking. Um, visually he needs his DP. So there, there's all these factors involved. It's a, it's, we're restarting, but we're already there and spending. So it was, it was very difficult. Um, Rich came in and, you know, one of the first things we said to Rich was where scout, because, you know, we were put in a situation, we needed an, an actor that can not only learn a whole entire script in a week or two weeks, but also have a killer performance uh, you know, not get mad at us as producers because we're not giving them any time, but come in as a team player. You know, we don't want to get, you know, you get a lot from an actor if they don't have the time, the prep and everything like that. So who we we really were asking ourselves who who can do this? And we knew Scout could. Right. Scout was like, she's phenomenal. Um, so Scout was available. We brought her out immediately. And then uh, our wonderful casting directors rec recommend uh, Nolan Gerard Funk. So uh, we went and we got him, brought him in as well. And then it was, it was literally writing and shooting. We were writing a script, you know, we'll do like 10, 15 pages. We start shooting. Then we have a writer in the background writing. And, and this was, this was our schedule. And it was so crazy. It was hard on like, you know, the art department and everybody like just trying to catch up to <laughs> what, what, what are we making? You know? Um, so yeah, that, I mean, it was a, uh, it was one heck of a teamwork style symphony on this one. <laughs> now, when you get, to, you talked about all the challenges of it, when you get all that wrapped up and you finally have the, the product available now, I mean, what, uh, what kind of a feeling does it give you when you finally have that thing out there for folks to check out? So much pride because the movie turned out so well, and I'm so proud of it from the way that the story was told to the actors performances to even the composition of, of, of the, the music, uh, the, just the look, the color, I couldn't be more excited and more happy to be part of this movie that was so troubling, but is now so like I was part of that, which is, it's so fulfilling. It's so fulfilling. 
Now, we, we talked about you, you had something in your past that we've never delved into. I, I didn't know until you, your people gave it up on you. I'm, I'm just telling you. But, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, how did uh, how did the, uh, the the world of fashion, how, how did you get started into that? And what, how, how did you transition from that into what you're doing today? Sure. Okay. So fashion started for me around like 14, 15 years old. Um, and it was literally by, it was fluke. I was asked to be in a, um, it was a cheerleading catalog. All right. (laughs) Right. For cheerleaders. And, and so I, the only thing I asked was, does it get me out of school and are there girls there? <laughs> That's the important I stuff. <laughs> I was at an all, I was in an all, uh, all guys boarding school at the time. So when I got offered a chance to like, you know, get, get out of school for a day or two and then see a bunch of beautiful girls, I was like, I'm in. Right. <laughs> um, and then from there, you know, my mom kind of took this more seriously than I did. I was just more about, I get to miss school, you know, cause I, I didn't want to go to school anyway. So I was right. not that kid. Um, so my mom got me an agent and then I just ended up like booking job after job. And then all of a sudden I get an offer to go to Italy with one of the biggest wow. modeling agencies in Italy and do the shows. And, you know, just really, I spent like a year in Italy and then I spent an, uh, a year in, in Germany and then a year in Greece and then three years in Tokyo, Japan. Wow. And then I did New York too. And then came back and decided I don't want to do this. <laughs> I was like, I, you know, it was just, I, I, I wanted to do something more with like, I wanted to create, but not just because like I, I I'm looking a certain way and I'm not eating any food, but because, um, like I wanted to do something creative uh, with like storytelling and business. I wanted to blend the two together. Right. So how could I do that? And that's what put my mind into this track. Like started looking for that, that kind of job. Cause I didn't know, I, I don't have a Hollywood uh, family and I didn't have a Hollywood background and we were not very wealthy people. Uh, you know, my, my, my family was uh, like teachers. My dad was a teacher and my mom worked for the school district. So uh, you know, we, I wasn't some rich kid that came into town and just throwing a bunch of money at movies. Right. I had to figure it out. Right. I had to bartend. Um, I had to clean tables and bathrooms and do all this stuff while I was actually working for the Ryan R. Johnson, the, the gentleman that, you know, was my mentor and that's what I was doing. So it went from, uh, fashion, real estate being like, you know, the high end parties and this and glamorous to, uh, bartending and waiting tables and then working at a, a, a film company, uh, you know, uh, during the day and bartending at night. Now, as, as you look back and you think on those moments, how much does that make you appreciate having a release out there and, and having people that believe in you that sign on, uh, to be a part of your ventures as well? Yeah. You know what? Um, I vividly remember like barely having enough money for food. Like I would eat cans of chili just straight out of the can. So, you know, being able to do what I love to do, I literally would, there's nothing I'd rather do in my life than produce movies. You know, I'm not a director. I'm not an actor. I'm a producer. And it, 
I've never been happier than I am doing what I do. So I just, I'm, I'm so grateful and I'm so blessed for, you know, what, what is in my life. Now, what, uh, what, what's the next big project? Uh, what's, I know you've got uh, several things yeah. in the pipeline real quick too. Yeah. So, um, we're turning over the, our shark film right now that we talked about last time mm-hmm. with Trace Adkins that that's, that's getting really close to, uh, you know, getting released. Um, I just finished a world war two movie in Thailand. Wow. Which was, we did that over the Christmas, the Christmas break. Uh, that was a fun one. You know, that had, um, Casper Van Dien and, uh, Louis Mandalore and Jeff Fahey in it and phenomenal directed by Brandon Slagle. Um, and then now we're getting ready. There, there there's a big one coming up. I, I, I don't want to say, say who's in it right now, but you're going <laughs> to, you're going to be like, well, it, it's, it's phenomenal. We'll shoot it on the East coast. Um, I can't wait to talk to you about it because it's going to blow your mind. Well, uh, I, I'm, I'm giddy with, with anticipation myself. <laughs> right on. <laughs> now, Damon, if, uh, if folks want to, uh, to check out the new film, want to, uh, to check out everything you've got going social media wise as well, where's, where's the best place for, uh, for, for both of those, if you will. Sure. The movie, the long night, um, on iTunes right now is probably the best place uh, to check it out. It's also in theaters, select theaters. Um, or you could go to Wellgo USA. That's our distributor and it's on their website. Uh, for myself, it, my Instagram it handle is Damon Hillen. So those are, those, those are the two spots or hillenentertainment.com. That's good stuff. Well, again, be sure and check out the film, The Long Night, uh, and and I don't know, Google his name. You might find some of those uh, some some of those old photos from back in the day, right? Yeah. <laughs> Killing me right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Damon, brother, it is uh, it's always good to see you, man. I I know we it's taken a couple of times to make this happen this time around, but. Appreciate you uh, always being so uh, so thoughtful and uh, look forward to catching up. Excited to talk next time around, brother. Likewise, brother. You have a great day, okay? Thanks for the time. Well, this guy had a more eventful weekend than the rest of us. 38-year-old Bradford Weitzel was at a bar in Port St. Lucie, Florida on Friday and left after midnight but couldn't find his car. So he did the only logical thing and stole someone else's car to go drive around and look for his. Hmm. Now the night was really just getting started though. Now he ended up stopping the stolen car on a set of train tracks. Now he claims that it died on him, which seems unlikely. Now the car then ended up getting hit by that train while Bradford was running away. And the train flung the car into the side of a nearby house, but luckily, the people asleep inside were not injured. Now, Bradford found a nearby fruit stand after that, vandalized it for some reason, and then tried to steal a forklift he found, but someone had called the cops by that point. When they showed up, Bradford tried to flag them down like he was in trouble and told them that he needed help finding his car. But then he explained everything else he'd been up to that night, so they arrested him instead. Now, he is facing a bunch of charges, including counts for grand theft auto and criminal mischief. 
He is host of the Believe in the Chiefs on the Believe Podcast Network. Former offensive lineman with the uh, the Chiefs. Makes sense. So we've got Joe Valerio with us today. And Joe, first off, thank you so much for taking the time, brother. Oh my gosh, Cameron. Great to join you in Super Bowl week. And it's been an amazing playoff run, I think, for NFL fans. Of course, there's always going to be a sad group of fans that, you know, their team isn't journeying on in this uh, crazy playoff race. But I'll tell you, it's been fantastic as an objective football fan of anybody who loves the NFL. I don't even know if you need to be an NFL fan to have enjoyed <laughs> these last six games. The drama, you know, every game's been a walk-off, basically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how could you not be excited about, you know, what's coming now with the with the culmination of the season and the Super Bowl? So, you know, I think the two teams that are there are very deserving, and it's going to be an interesting game. It's two, two very different types of football teams. So it's been, been exciting, been a great year. Now Cincinnati uh, got some youth at the at the quarterback position, and uh, if you were to talk to uh, talk to the Bengals, what 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 would your advice be leading up to uh, to Super Bowl Sunday? Well, I mean, I, I knew what they needed to do against the Chiefs. I felt like, well, number one, what they did is they hung in there, right? I mean, they've got to hang in there, just like they did against Kansas City. Things, things might not go well for for Cincinnati in the first part of the season, uh, first part of the game, you know. And it didn't go well for them against the Chiefs. But I think the game that Joe Burrow played against the Chiefs, bringing that Bengals team on that journey. Um, I feel like it was a microcosm of his life story as a football player, right? getting rejected, getting, you know, you know, booed, you know, leaving that school, going to another school, you know, getting hurt, dealing with his injury and wins the Heisman, wins a national championship, you know, like that game was like all that rolled into one injuries happening for the Bengals. They're not playing well. They're losing. It didn't look good, Cameron, for the Bengals. You got to be honest. I mean, I, look, right. I know, of course, I'm a Chiefs homer, right? Because I cover <laughs> the Chiefs. I play for the Chiefs. But like, I just was feeling like I was feeling really, really good about what the Chiefs were doing in that first half. And what did the Bengals do? Hung around. They hung around the rim. You know, that old basketball phrase, they just hung around the rim and, you know, good things happen. You get rebounds, you get dunks and they just hung in there. And I think that's what they're going to have. There was a long answer to a short question, but (laughs) I think that's what they're going to have to do against this team, because if they give up hope to this smother, this Rams team is a smothering team and they're going to smother the Bengals on defense. And, and quite frankly, I think the Rams offense is a smothering offense. And I think they're going to eat up clock. You know, they're going to game manage down the field. They're going to try to keep Burrow off the field. And, you know, Joe Burrow just can't lose heart, right? He's got to keep plugging away. He's got to keep going because if he loses heart, you know, the Chiefs, you know, he loses heart in that Chiefs game. The Chiefs go on and win 45 to seven. Right. You know, and, and, but he didn't. And I think that's, that, that, that permeates a team. You know, that, 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 that sends a message when you don't give up like that. That sent a message to every single Bengal last week, you know, when they lost to the, or when they beat the Chiefs, is that, you know what, you don't give up. It, when it looks, you know, when it looks bad, you just keep playing. And, um, you know, I just think that that's what they're going to have to do because, Cameron, I got to be honest, they're going to run into a little bit of a buzzsaw. Right. You know, this Rams team is, is this, they were built for this game. You know, this is what that organization did over the course of, and they put that final piece in, in place with Stafford. And, you know, I think they've got, they've got all the pieces to on paper. Again, we don't play games on paper. Right. And, and, and if we did, you know, 
be, be a lot health. <laughs> I'd be a lot, my knees would feel a lot better, um, these days, but, um, you know, it just on paper that they're going to, you know, there's a reason why they're almost a touchdown favorite, which I think that line's a little, I think that line's a little light. If, you know, I, I think it, you know, I think the Rams, if, if they start running away with it, it could get worse. Now, did you immediately buy in once they got Stafford? Did you immediately buy in that? Yeah, they were Super Bowl favorites uh, for the Rams at the beginning yeah. of the year. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I think I was because I just felt like they were they were piecing this thing together. And you know, if you were, you had to be like watching it closely, right? Like each time they would put in a new piece, you're like, "Ooh, yeah, ooh, that was a good move." It's like if you ever been in a fantasy football draft, right? And you're watching the draft <laughs> go by, and you're like. Ooh, that was a good, Ooh, that was a good pick. Ooh, that was a good pick. Why didn't I think of that? And then, <laughs> and then all of a sudden the Rams are who they are, you know, and then, and then Stafford and I, and I got to give Stafford a lot of credit too. You know, here's a guy who played 13 years, right. In Detroit, no offense to, 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 to that organization, but they've been bad. Like, yeah. and they, they got even worse when he left. So it kind of shows you what he was doing, propping up right. that organization with his play. And I'll tell you, I got, I got to be honest, Cameron, I, I don't know this for a fact, so I am making some conjecture here, but I have to imagine in those 13 years, Matt Stafford had a chance to leave. Now, granted, <laughs> they paid him well and, you know, he made great money and he made a great living and his grandkids, kids don't have to have to work probably, <laughs> but like he had a chance, you know, he had a chance. He never did. He hung in there. He just like, just like Joe Burrow, who, who's a hang in there kind of a guy. I think Matt Stafford's a hang in there kind of guy. And so I like him for that fact. You know, whether you like his play style or if you like him as a person, like, who, you know, all that stuff aside, he hung in there. Mm. And I think he's getting his just desserts now being in, you know, the Super Bowl representing the NFC Championship Rams as the quarterback. And um, I give him a lot of credit for that. So that's why I think it's going to be a really interesting Super Bowl with these two quarterbacks. This isn't the, you know, some of the last gunslinging games that we saw, right? You know, when you, especially in the AFC. You know, it's a gunslinger. It was like the old Wild West, right? Burrow, Josh <laughs> Allen, Derek Carr, uh, you know, um, Patrick Mahomes, of course, right? How could I forget Patrick? And you've got, you know, all these gunslinging QBs whipping the ball around. Now you kind of have, this is a little bit of the old Wiley vet versus the, the young gun. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to be anxious to see how this, um, you know, how this all plays on and how they react to each other and the way that they're each playing. And and you mentioned him, so uh, being the covering the Chiefs as well. What what have you seen on uh, on the one on one side of Patrick since he's come into the league to where he is today? Oh, he's got he's just he's such a talent. I mean, he's got such skills. Um, the one way that I describe Patrick in my own terms is forget the cannon arm, the happy feet. You know his ability. You know from having played basketball and baseball and done all those things to, to generate like real well-rounded athleticism. The one thing I think Patrick has that, that really ultra super ultra high performing athletes have is he's able to see everything in slow motion. Um, you know, granted, like, you know, sometimes when he struggles, it's not because of that. He struggles because I think he puts too much pressure on himself and he forces things. But his pure play and the way that he plays the game of football, I saw this, it's going to be a bizarre analogy. You're like, what is this guy talking about? <laughs> but I saw this, this show on like, it was like Nat, Nat Geo or something like National Geographic. And it was about insects and how insects, um, their metabolisms are so high that everything in the world around them is happening in slow motion. It's kind of like why it's really hard to kill a fly. 
mm-hmm. right? When it's on your picnic table, because, you know, they see things so in their metabolisms are so quick that when you try to swat them, that they like see it coming from a mile away. That's kind of how I like to describe Patrick Mahomes. He just, everything around him is happening in slow motion and, and he's able to um, see things um, that we might not see as sort of normal human beings. Like, you know, when, <laughs> When a, when a wide receiver is breaking away just at the right time or when he sees the pocket collapsing around him and how he's able to step up and find the pocket inside the pocket. Like, he just has an uncanny ability to slow everything down. I mean, a perfect physical example of it, Cameron, was um, on um, his, the trainer, Rich Burkholt, uh, was, was, I guess they were talking about how they have the body, uh, you know, biometric stuff on that they're wearing now, right? Heart rate. I think some teams have sensors in their helmets to measure impact and things like that. Well, apparently, you know, the story goes and what they've been reporting is that his heart rate from the biometric screening was higher on the sideline when he was watching Josh Allen go down the field and score that last touchdown before Patrick got the 13 seconds than it was when he was actually in the huddle ready to call the first play of that series. His heart rate was higher on the sideline than it was in the huddle. Now, granted, when you start running, your heart rate's going to go up, so you can't use that. But that, to me, just kind of says it all, (laughs) you know, that the physical manifestation of of, of his athletic ability was that he could slow everything down, calmly call that play. You know, he only knew he he only had the two plays, right? And he just – he made it happen. So – that's my best way to describe Patrick. That's long. That's, I got on a soapbox there, but like, I really think, uh, I really think, I think that's what makes him kind of special. Now, is he human? Of course we saw that. We saw what happened in the second half of that game. And, you know, I feel really bad that, um, you know, they just, that the chiefs didn't override him and kick that field goal at the end of the half. Cause I think, you know, players are funny and, and, and the psychology of being out there on the field in a high pressure situation like that, even for a guy like Patrick Mahomes, you know, I think I think not being able to punch that in in the end zone and not coming away with some points at the end of that half really set him on a weird path for the remainder of that game. And whether whether it took away his swagger or his confidence or something, it definitely did something. And so you have to be careful when you're a coach that you don't uh, let your players uh, get in those situations, right? I think Andy. Sh- Possibly, you know, and here I am. I'm, I'm no head coach of an NFL team, but I'll throw my opinion out there. I think he should have put his foot down and said, Patrick, we're kicking the field goal. You know, we come away with the three points. Go get, go get some Gatorade. Come out second half, you know, guns a-blazing, and, and we'll be fine. And I, I think that was probably the, the biggest mistake that they made in that game. Now, how hard is it to, to deal with a talent like like Patrick, I mean, you you are around with uh, with Joe Montana as well. I mean, how do you see the, the the coaching challenge working with someone that gifted? Oh well, I think the the biggest challenge I think comes from not not bridling them too much, right? Not mm-hmm. not um, you know let them go, let them do their thing, and that's hard. That's hard for some coaches. Coaches have sometimes just as big of egos as the players do. And, you know, you've got to let them have their, uh, the opportunity, you have to empower them to be who they are. You know, I, I, I do these things on Mondays on, on, uh, LinkedIn and I do it on Twitter and I do, I have a YouTube channel called lessons from the gridiron and I talk about, and it's funny you should bring that up. Cause I, my, today, my lesson from the gridiron today was, um, you know, leadership by example. And 
I think, and I, and I said in my little message that great, great players, um, the reason they become, they be, they become great players because they're great leaders and they lead by example. It's not vice versa. You know, great leaders aren't just out there made up of, you know, great leaders aren't made by just being a great player. And so I think what happens is with those kind of talents that you have, you understand that they got there for a reason. So, you know, Joe Montana, like he was the guy that was first one in the locker room in the morning. He was the last one to leave. And I know for a fact that Patrick is the same way. He puts the work in. So it's almost as if they make it easier for you because when you get that good at something, you got there for a reason and you got there because you put the work in Um, because it goes, it goes even beyond natural talent for a guy like Patrick Mahomes or a guy like Joe Montana. And I think that that rubs off on everybody else around them in the locker room. So I think in some ways it's really hard for coaches because they don't want to, they don't want to tamper down the, the, the wild talent that's there. But at the same time, you know, they do have to understand that that players like there, like that got there for a reason and that they've got to just kind of like, let them go, let them do their thing. Now, granted, if it's becoming conduct, conduct detrimental to the team, you can't, you know, you, cause what's the other saying is, you know, the worst thing, a, a good manager can do is, is coddle a bad employee, right? Cause that's right. the, you know, you, you got to put your foot down and say, no, this is how, this is the culture of the team and this is how we're going to play football. And Patrick embodies that. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's a give and take between a coach and a great player like that. Now with, with Joe making it into the Super Bowl for, with the Bengals this year, how, how do they avoid uh, ridiculous expectations uh, of Joe in, in the years after this as well? Well, you know, that's a great question, Cameron. It's a fantastic, you know, commentary. It, it is hard. It's hard to now, because we see it, we see it in Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes. Like the fans expect the Chiefs now to be in the Super Bowl every year. Um, it's hard. You know, there's 31 other teams out there that are watching the film on you as a quarterback like Joe Burrow. And they don't just sit around wringing their hands and saying, oh, woe is me. You know, the Bengals are great or the Chiefs are great. You know, the Bills have Josh Allen. Let's just pat like those defensive coordinators are thinking and dreaming, spending nights and days and weekends dreaming up plans <laughs> of how to stop a player like that. So the fans can't let their expectations get too high because it's not as if the other teams aren't going to show up anymore because, oh, Joe Burrow made the Super Bowl in the second year. Oh, well we're done. Let's just pack it in. Let's go, we'll go up in Canada and play in the CFL or something like, you know, so, so I think, I think what needs to happen is fans need to say, look, we're going to be that, that this Bengals team is going to be a good team for a long time. So take a deep breath, no matter what happens and, you know, enjoy the ride because you've got a quarterback who knows how to win. He's won at every level, right? He won a national championship. He won the Heisman. He's now in the Super Bowl, which is the pinnacle of the NFL. So um, just enjoy it. Enjoy the ride because it, it, it's, you know, there's only one team that walks away with that Lombardi trophy and there's only two to get to play for it every year out of 32 teams. And when you look back historically, you know, sometimes teams go decades without getting even close and it's not because they're not trying. So anyway, I guess my one piece of advice is enjoy the moment. Stop thinking about, you know, it's like that, uh, that progressive commercial with Dr. Rick, right? You know, why are we talking about leaving the game? The game hasn't even started yet. You're thinking about leaving in the third quarter. Like, you know, um, that's what fans can't do. 
just enjoy the heck out of this week, the hype, enjoy the game, um, enjoy what the Bengals might do this offseason to surround Joe Burrow, win, lose, or draw. Well, there won't be a draw. They don't let them tie in the Super Bowl. But, um, you know, win or lose, I would, you know, if I'm a Bengals fan, enjoy the heck out of what they're going to do to try to build around him. You know, because that's what that's when it gets fun. Because that's what that's the progression I've seen with the Chiefs. Now, obviously, you know they've they've been to the four AFC championships and 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 the and the two Super Bowls, um, and they won one of them. But I'll tell you what they've done every year is they've always found that one or two uh, pieces uh, they've tried to put together for Patrick Mahomes. Right this year it was the offensive line, which was beautiful. That was masterfully constructed. And then I was talking with some bears fans today. They're really excited about, you know, Ryan poles heading up to, to Chicago to, uh, you know, to, 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 to bring, to go up there and, and some of the things he's done to help build, you know, the Kansas city chiefs through his long tenured career. He's been there since like 2008 or 2009, uh, you know, started in, you know, in, in the assistant scout or something, you know, really, you know, down there, you know, in, in, in the pecking order, and, you know, now he's general manager of, you know, one of the most storied franchises in, in NFL football, you know, with the Bears. So um, I love it. I think it's great for Bears fans. So, you know, those are the kinds of things that the Chiefs have done. And, you know, one year it was, you know, let's shore up the receivers. You know, let's they, what they've done with Travis Kelsey, backing him up right. with, with Blake Bell and getting some wide or getting some tight ends in there that can that can fill his shoes as big as they are. Uh, I think they did a, a nice job of shoring up the linebacking core with some young players like Willie Gay and Nick Bolton. So the Chiefs have done a masterful job of, of surrounding Patrick Mahomes with a lot of talent. And that's, if I'm a Bengals fan, I'd be excited about. What are they going to do to make Joe Burrow better and make keep him out on the field more by right. having a good line and having a good defense? And, uh, you know, that that's what I think is going to be really exciting for them, win, win or lose. Well, uh, to, to pick up the win, Joe, give me uh, give me what the the Bengals have to do and what the Rams have to do, in your opinion. Um, I think well, number one, Captain Obvious statement: the Bengals are going to have to protect Joe Burrow. Um, they can't, you know, they can't let him. They can't let happen what happened against the Titans because I don't think I don't think they're going to be able to overcome something like that the way they did against the Titans. I I felt like the Titans were. And this is going to sound like a really like this isn't meant to be a derogatory term to the to the Titans organization, but I felt like they were a little bit of a paper tiger this year. There was something that when I watched them play, as many wins as they got, there was something hollow or missing about their wins. I couldn't I couldn't figure it out, and I couldn't put my finger on it. And I, I actually we did my buddy Jeff Fedoten and I did talk about it on our podcast because we were kind of going through some playoff scenarios and what was going to happen. I wasn't really fearing the Titans and, and I, you, I'm on record as saying that, like, if you go back and look, I wasn't, again, I think it's a fantastic organization because if there's an organization that mirrors their head coach in toughness, it's, it's the Titans. Cause Mike Vrabel is, he's the bomb. I just, I think the world of him, but like, um, I just think, um, you know, I think the, uh, if they don't protect Burrow, they're not going to be able to beat the Titans the way that they did. Um, or beat the Rams the way that they beat the Titans. It's just, it's just not going to happen. Um, the, the, the Rams are too good for that. Um, so, so, so that's my first captain obvious statement um, is what they're going to have to do on, on offense is, is, is let Joe Burrow do his thing, you know, give him the time he needs to extend the running game with some short passes. Um, they're going to have to, you know, give him some time so he can get the intermediate to, to deeper routes working and, 
And then to complement that, Cameron, they're going to have to they're going to have to see if Joe Mixon can run against this vaunted defense of theirs. You know, they've got to try to establish something in the run game because if they feel like they don't have to bring eight up into the box, um, then 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 they're going to sit back and and you know with with seven guys back there and rush four, maybe occasionally rush three. As good as Aaron Donald is, uh, and then and then and then the Bengals are going to be in a world of hurt because they're just going to blanket everybody, and and I think they've got so they've got to establish some running game to open up the playbook for Joe Burrow and protect him, and I think that's really the key. It's it's not really I don't think rocket science on that on that side of the ball for the Bengals. That's what they have to do to to make their mark on on the Rams. You know the Rams. They don't have. They can't turn the ball over. Mm-hmm. They can't. They can't. They can't. Not that they're a, a team that is 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 beholden to the or, uh, you know uh, uh, you know has a lot of turnovers or or that they're a turnover prone team. But in this particular game, they can't turn the ball over because you don't want to give Joe Burrow any momentum. Turnovers are to me are the. I know penalties can be big momentum swings. The, the interference call at the wrong time, you know, the, the, you know, the holding call at the wrong time, like those are real game changers. But like, to me, the real momentum swings are turnovers, the pick at the wrong time, the fumbled, you know, uh, quarterback sack where the, you know, the defensive lineman strips the QB and, and they pick up the ball and maybe they, you know, they do a little scoop and dash or something, but like, they can't do that because this team thrives on that. They're going to thrive on momentum. That's what's going to, that's the Cinderella story of this Bengals team is they're going to need something like that to really make a play. Right. But Hey, just like my dad was, my dad was a professional boxer and he used to say, well, this could be a puncher's fight. And I'd be like, dad, what does that mean? He goes, listen, I don't care if you got the champ of the world. Who's never lost a fight. If he's fighting a puncher, all it takes is one. <laughs> and, 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 you know, my dad used to say that always like one of the lessons he taught me about, you know, be careful that one punch, son, you might be winning by a hundred, but that one punch could knock you out and <laughs> you lose. Now you lose, you know? And, uh, you know, so I think that this, the Bengals team is their punchers and you saw that, right. You yeah. saw that with the mm-hmm. chiefs. They, they hung in there. And they were t- is the rope of dope. It was old Muhammad Ali <laughs> rope of dope and the rope of dope. And then all of a sudden, bam, you know, they came out of nowhere. And so to me, Cameron, long answer again, I, I think it's turnovers that will, will be the, could be the, the doom for the Rams. If, if they, uh, you know, if they let the, uh, the Bengals hang around. And uh, Joe, like we mentioned before, the host of the believe in the chiefs, on uh, the Believe Podcast Network. Also, uh, Joe, want to give you an opportunity to let folks know where they can keep up social media. Also, your your Monday motivation, where they can keep up with uh, with everything you got going, brother. Oh, Cameron, I appreciate that. Yeah, so I, uh, you know, I um, I have uh, my Twitter handle is at uh, Joe Valerio seventy three. I have this uh, YouTube channel we just uh, started called uh, Joe Valerio Lessons from the Gridiron and. You know, if you just did a quick Google search there, I connect it through Twitter. I tweet out some of my videos. I do them on LinkedIn. Um, you know, it's just like a Monday little motivation. I do uh, lessons I learned, you know, along the way, share some things, playing with guys like Joe Montana and Marcus Allen and, you know, leadership lessons and, you know, what it's like to be a part of a team and celebrating your role and things like that, that uh, I've been in the corporate environment now for, for 25 years. So, you know, I've, uh, 
I wake up on Monday mornings a little, little less sore than I used to, which is kind of nice, but still get beat around a little bit in the corporate world. So I've learned some lessons there too. Um, but, uh, but it's been a lot of fun doing that and sharing that stuff. And you know, I love talking football and, you know, we have our believe in chiefs podcast with my buddy, Jeff Adoten, and, uh, you know, just, uh, just, it's fun stuff just to interact with fans and, and hear all the things that are going on. And great to be here with you, Cameron. Thank you so much for, for having me on. This has been a blast. Well, Joe, it's it's been a privilege. Like I, like I mentioned before we came on, I, I was not a Chiefs fan. I had an appreciation for the Chiefs as a Broncos fan in my days. So uh, it's been a privilege to visit with you, especially uh, Super Bowl week. I appreciate you taking the time out. And uh, Joe, hopefully we can catch up again real soon. I would love that, Cameron. You got my contact info. Let's do it again. Truly want to say thanks again for joining us for this second episode in Season 3 of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. If you ever have a comment, uh, maybe a question, or anything else you'd like to know, you can hit me up on the contact page at gqwithcam.com. You can also find me on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook at gqwithcam. If you'd like to help out in the funding for this podcast, visit our merch store where we've got hoodies, mugs, tumblers, shirts, stickers, much more. That's gqwithcam.com forward slash shop. And if you have a special guest idea, just email me, Cameron at gqwithcam.com. We're going to let our good friend Brandon Allen play us out. Hope you guys have a great rest of your evening and get ready for Super Bowl weekend. <laughs>